If there is one good thing that has come about recently, it's that people are really making an effort to support their local businesses. And this is made easier when you see these businesses pour their heart and soul into the work that they do every single day. Community-focused businesses are feeling the love and thriving with an outpouring of support from the communities that they serve. And today's guest embodies what it means to be a heart-centered entrepreneur. Milende Prey turned her professional life upside down in pursuit of making a bigger impact on the community. And she founded La Station in order to support entrepreneurs by sharing her knowledge and connections. Working with small businesses, entrepreneurs, and not-for-profit organizations, Milen's goal was to help them level up to make a bigger impact. Today's episode is a little different than the usual. It is simply a candid conversation with a heart-centered entrepreneur who I believe has something important in common with you, and that is her desire to leave people better than she found them. This conversation with Milen goes deep, and it may be triggering to our friends in the LGBTQ plus community who have experienced discrimination on their entrepreneurial journey. Now, without further ado, let's get heart-centered with Milen. You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules. So we're creating space for you to dive in and fast track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation, and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hello, Milan. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to get heart-centered with you today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I would love it if you could introduce yourself to listeners using your own words. Who are you, Milan, and what brought you to caring about heart-centeredness? Well, my name is Milan Desprez. I own uh, La Station Workspace in downtown Moncton, and I also own La Station Creative, offering web design services to clients. Most of my clients are entrepreneurs, community leaders, not-for-profit workers, not-for-profits themselves. Community has always been at the forefront of my values. And no matter what I did, whether it was being a server in for most of my 20s all throughout Canada, my favorite thing was making someone's day by providing like, this one little act of, you know, love, but to a stranger. Making someone's day is extremely rewarding. Absolutely. Yeah. And so growing up, my house was always <laughs> like the, my friends called the airport des prés because the lights were always on. Everybody was always welcome. And there was always people flowing through the house, whether it be our parents' friends or our friends or no matter what. I'm the youngest of four kids. And we were never only the six of us sitting at the dinner table. It was always friends and family and everybody was welcomed and there was no music, no TV, everybody. It was conversations. That's how I grew up. (laughs) I love that. Conversations, connecting with each other, and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure having deeper, more meaningful conversations as well. Absolutely. Yes. My parents never shied away from the, they made it very important to talk about the hard things like religion, politics, ask questions, be really curious about our world and leading with our heart. 
Yeah. And I think that you really just help to embody what heart-led leadership or heart-centered community even means. Because I have to be honest, I had to Google the definition of it because I wasn't quite 100% sure. And now I think it makes a lot of sense, especially when we look at news of the recent past. You know, we're in the year 2021. We've all just spent a whole lot of time apart. We still are. And in a way, it feels like we've all broken up with each other. We didn't want to. And, you know, Zoom calling and FaceTiming is great. But at some point, we need to get back together. We need to feel more unified. We need to have these hard conversations about our beliefs and politics and religion, because we all bring something different to the table. And we all need to start accepting each other a little bit more if we want to come out of this alive, literally. So I'm very interested to hear sort of what your tips or what your guidance are to help people reconnect with each other and lead with their hearts and have these conversations, even in business network meetings where we traditionally avoid them. So let's hear it. What are your tips? What are your thoughts? Well, I think in this mid-pandemic, I'd like to say post, but let's be real, uh, we're still in the <laughs> middle of it. Yes. In this climate, what, what this pandemic really brought to the table is exposing a lot of cracks in our systems, all the mm-hmm. systems everywhere. Everybody is kind of they're doing a, like an introspection in what actually matters to them and rediscovering nature, rediscovering themselves, their partners, their children even. And they don't really care about stuff. That's mm-hmm. for me anyway. And a lot of people that surrounds me here. And as I see a lot of my friends, industries and jobs being scarce. And as I see so much change, and especially like that the beginning of the pandemic, we, there was a lot of people that, you know, they lost their jobs, so they could no longer come. But a lot have come back in the past year to La Station and, and a lot of new people, new faces who heard about this place where we pride ourselves in building community and lasting relationships. And the way to do that, I, I really think it's by asking how you can help and not just how you can help today, but that's what I do every day when I when I wake up, my first question I ask myself is, how can I help? And so my whole day is around that. How can I help people around me? How can I help my community? And what kind of difference we can make? And like people hate Mondays, but they're my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what can we do this week to make the world better? Right. And I know that sounds fluffy and weird, but it's part of uh you know, I've always had my heart on my sleeve and been told my whole life that I'm too sensitive and and I am hypersensitive. But I, as I've grown older and now in my mid 30s, I'm realizing that that is nothing to be ashamed of. I'm quite proud to be hypersensitive because it makes me able to fine tune my soft skills, meaning like, you know, communication, not just Going into somewhere like a networking event to collect business cards, that's one of my biggest things. But really choosing the networking events that I attend, and I know right now in a pandemic, it's hard to network, but that's okay. Like if you're leading, but with empathy and always asking how you can help this person and how instead of just trying to get business cards and contacts to to be it... Just getting business cards for what those people can bring to you instead of actually going out and creating real relationships and asking 
real questions about what this person does. Like, okay, yeah, they've just told you their jobs. But one of the things I like to ask is, what do you like about your job? Mm-hmm. What do you want to do to change the world? What do you do in your free time? Because that is as important as what we do for work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just getting back down on the human level. I know years ago, I learned through a psychiatrist friend of mine that with the introduction of social media and, you know, the research that was coming from that, we learned that it was actually desensitizing people. So in absence of a human face and a human reaction to your words, we actually have become less sensitive and we say things that we probably wouldn't say right to somebody's face because we are missing that human interaction and that human response. Now, fast forward a bunch of years and we're in the middle of a pandemic, as you said. I feel like I've been saying it's the middle of a pandemic for (laughs) a year. I was in years. (laughs) We're still here and the state of the world has really driven us into our individual silos where we are interacting through computers. And there's much talk about a wave of mental health that's going to come like on the heels of this COVID-19 pandemic. So I think that you're really onto something. And I think that, you know, already people are feeling the pain of being apart and not feeling connected. And we see all kinds of evidence of that, right? Like, it's not just my speculation. Look at what happened on the Capitol. Like, that's just Mm -hmm. one example of thousands. I guess as we kind of ease our way out of the pandemic and back into each other's hearts because it's really the only way out of this, right? Is to reconnect with one another and talk about the hard things and hear each other's values. And instead of immediately making a judgment and a rejection, hear it and understand it and respond with, you know, love and acceptance. I mean, I think that that's our way out. So we need to talk more about it. We need to learn how to do it again. We need it to be ingrained in everything that we're doing, in my opinion. So I think you're brilliant. And I really want listeners to hear your message and more about what this looks like day to day as they get back in touch with their business community and their local community and their neighbors and their coworkers. And of course, you know, the pandemic has forced us to work with people through computers, which is a beautiful thing because it's opened up the opportunity to work with people that aren't just in our geographical neighborhoods, but across the globe. So I would love to hear a bit more about what that looks like day to day. Like, how do I approach this in my business? How can I ask hard questions? How can I connect with the people that I'm working with without it coming off as, you know, maybe meandering or being unprofessional? What does being professional even mean? At La Station Workspace, we take really good pride in in not being stuffy and not like we don't fit in the corporate mold. I never did. That's for sure. And that's why I never fit in any like corporate kind of role. I tried Mm -hmm. it and it was weird. (laughs) I felt like somebody else. (laughs) And so here it's for us every day at La Station, instead of asking on the, oh, is this professional? Because like, this is, you know, you've seen, you're seeing how I'm dressed right now. Like, it's really casual. Nobody's here in two-piece suits. sweatpants and mucklucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, sweatpants, welcome. <laughs> but it's really about daring to do so and really a retro inspection in, in what are the values that you 
care about. Like before I opened La Station, I had, I did several interviews, like as part of my market research to find out what kind of entrepreneurs and what kind of people in general would want to come to La Station and why and what did they care about? You know, instead of asking like, what kind of newspapers you read? For me, it was really about what are your top three values? What charity or or what organization do you support and why? And it was awesome. I interviewed probably close to 20 people and everybody had the, you know, communication. And these were like cross-sector people. It was corporate people and community organizers and everything in between. And uh, everybody had like communication, empathy, honesty, and all of those kinds of values at their forefront. And so hearing all of these things, I started asking them, well, how do you feel at regular networking events? And most of them told me they feel pretty terrible and always wondering why they're there. You know, it's hard not to feel when somebody approaches you at, at a networking event, it's hard not to feel like they just want something from you. Mm. When you're talking to all kinds of people at a networking event, and it's very tiring, but if you're focusing on what makes these people tick instead of what they do and how that can advance your career, it makes a world of a difference. And that is what creates a lasting relationship where, you know, I have people that I've met at networking events that are now members at La Station because they know that they're safe here to talk about difficult things. And we have uh, quite the code of conduct to uh, help be as inclusive as possible. I even asked my members to weigh in on what they thought should be included. If I forgot anything, was it inclusive enough in a very horizontal way? That's my goal. Yeah, it's brilliant because the other thing that we know is that more than a paycheck, people care about having autonomy and having some control and feeling like they're part of something. And it's often why people like you and I flee from the corporate system because suddenly we're faced with all of this odd bureaucracy that doesn't make any sense. At least I'll speak for myself. All this odd bureaucracy that doesn't make any sense. And then the morale of the coworkers, at least in my case, was just not good. And, you know, fresh out of university, entering this workforce trying to lead some change and get excited and be part of something like that just was not on the table in my case. I really think that a lot of the mental health issues that are coming forth are from us trying to fit in these molds and they do stem from not being heart connected and doing something that puts value in your life. And that can be on a professional level, but it can also be on a personal level. That's why I think like asking people what they do on their free time That's important. You know, like I'm an avid mountain biker and that's helped me incredibly on a personal level, but also on a professional level. It's helped me, you know, when you're mountain biking, you're constantly surpassing yourself and surpassing your fears. And so that can be superimposed to the professional level as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And if we choose to see it that way, it's a lot better. But yeah, the mental health crisis that we're seeing, I really think that it's because People don't feel valued. Mm -hmm. And in this pandemic world, it's exposed a lot of those things. And here at La Station, we were fortunate enough to be able to choose to see the positive side and what is the opportunity through this pandemic to really do something different, which is have a hub for connection 
And Mm -hmm. in the spring, we'll be opening up the third floor here. And we've already reserved all of the office space. And it's like-minded people, people who care about our community that have come and jumped in this crazy project with us. Yeah. And I think as we ease restrictions, like I said before, as we let go of our breakup, people more and more are going to want to be together again and, you know, come together for a common cause. And to your point, we care so much less about stuff now because being at home all day, every day in our sweatpants has really exposed the systems that we live inside of and has caused us to question how we feel about those systems. I mean, that's evidenced all over the internet at this point. I don't even need to say, you know, definitely, you know, it's caused me to question the capitalist system that I have been living in my entire life and how it's shaped my beliefs and my values and my behavior and question how I feel about all those things, right? So I'm sure that everybody listening is doing the same thing. Absolutely, because in a capitalist system, making money and being profitable is morally good. But that's often on the back of other people that aren't as privileged as we are. Or like, I'm a white woman, I'm I'm a white gay woman. And so when we look at intersectional privilege as a white gay woman, I have some privileges that others don't. Instead of being like, oh, I, I have privilege and... But like, whatever, it's not about who has the most or the least privilege. It's about the people with the most privilege asking what they can do to help. And that's what's important to me. And that's what I try to do every day. Every day, it's how can I help by using my privilege as a white woman in North America, in Moncton, lots of less privileged people here. And what can we do to better our community? Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like I'm not making sense. Yeah, and what? No, no, it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) But now I want to know, as somebody who, you know, is being mindful of this stuff, because I think we all want to be mindful of it. Absolutely. But we just get caught in our own day-to-day, and we don't know where to start, and we don't know what to do, and we're just so overwhelmed with everything of 2021. Mm -hmm. I think that listeners are hearing what you're saying, and they're saying, hey, I want to help. I want to help with this too. What do I do? So I'm just wondering if for you, what's bubbling to the surface for listeners, like what can they do today to help contribute to a better system? I really think that going out and finding stuff out that you don't know about, you know, so if you're, if you're uncomfortable with trans pronoun and you're not sure how to use them and you're not sure why it's even a thing, go out and research. Google, you can do it. It's not just up to trans people to educate us. We need to take ownership of our privilege and go out and educate ourselves on what these things are and like why Black Lives Matter is an important movement and why why the choice of that name and why the least bit uncomfortable with any of these things, go and research why. Mm-hmm. And ask Google or ask somebody. My friends ask me a lot because I'm I research these things a lot. <laughs> I'm kind mm-hmm. of a yeah. I'm an information junkie, so so I like to know as much as I can about all the topics. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Right? What you can do is really go and find information. There's lots of books that can help you on how to they them. There's lots of books that can even help you 
process what it means, you know, to be a white Canadian and have governmental, you know, what's coming to mind right now is uh, the Indian Act. I've been reading a lot about, like, I just bought a book recently with 21 things I didn't know about the Indian Act. And it's incredibly informative. And just the fact that we still call it the Indian Act in Canada says loads about Mm -hmm. where we are as a society. And so what can we do to help? It always comes down to that. So you bought a fancy camera or you're thinking about buying one because it's clear to you that there is no shortage of beautiful moments or things in your life that you'd like to capture beautifully. But the record scratches because all the dials and buttons and settings are standing between you and your life in stunning photos. Well, my friend, I have just the fix. The ultimate photography starter kit. This free resource includes a recommended equipment list, quick start checklist, and a beginner's guide to creating natural poses and candid moments to give you the confidence you need to dust off that fancy camera and start documenting your moments so they can last forever. The Ultimate Photography Starter Kit is completely free and it is everything you need to get started. So grab yours today at kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. That's kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. And I can't wait to see your framers in my scroll. I would love to peek on your bookshelf. So... (laughs) The Indian Act is a book that we will link in the show notes because I already want to read it. And I have to agree that I felt a little shocked knowing that it was still called that. I didn't know that myself. What else is on your bookshelf? There's a book that my friend Jay lent me. It's called Seeing Gender. And the first page says, Dr. Pepper could be a woman. And I'm like, huh, that's true, right? Nobody ever thinks about that. We think, we assume that Dr. Pepper is a man and that as a society, we're really socialized into this very linear thinking of what gender and sex and sexuality is. And that's mostly from old moors, if you will, but it's new to a lot of people, but it's not actually a new thing. Gender and gender um, identity is, I don't know how to explain this. (laughs) It's not a new thing. And people are just like, oh, there's so many more gays now. And it's like, no, it's just a lot of the generation before us were either killed by their peers or died by suicide from not enough social support or died because of the inaction of our governments during the AIDS crisis. And so it's it's not a new thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just <laughs> there's less fear, I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think, you know, given our historical systems, there would have been a lot of fear woven into that. And I completely get what you're saying. It's still some an issue now. One of the reasons I left the service industry was because I was sick of the sexual harassment and the fear of telling somebody who I truly am. They would see my wedding ring and say, what does your husband do? And in that s- split second, you're thinking, all right, is this person safe? Should I tell them the truth? And fear losing out on my livelihood, which is getting tips or fear being berated in public or, Mm -hmm. and at the same time, all right. So if I lie to them, then I have to deal with that myself. I've just been able and, and internalized homophobia. It was a lot of fear and, and being, I I couldn't handle it anymore. It's Mm -hmm. still present. It's still present. It was still around. I've, I've been out of the service industry for 
six years, maybe five. Mm-hmm. And it's still very prevalent. And Absolutely. and so, yeah, pride matters because there's still kids who are dying by suicide every day because mm-hmm. they weren't accepted as who they are. Mm-hmm. Completely. I So in my 20s, I worked as an occupational therapist mm-hmm. um, in private industry when I got started. And I fancy myself a bit of a fashionista. Maybe not so much anymore that I'm wearing a lot of sweatpants. But, <laughs> you know, back in a time when I would interact with people in person, I was into clothes. I'll just leave it like that. Mm-hmm. And I wore high heel shoes to work. And one day I was asked by my boss to stop doing that. And I thought, okay, you know, let's hear, let's hear it. (laughs) Um, And I was all of 25 years old when my boss, who was also a female, told me that that's too distracting for the male patients who come in. And again, as a 25-year-old, this is my boss talking to me. It's my livelihood attached to it. You know, it's part of my identity to wear certain clothes. I stopped wearing high heel shoes and then I just started to question everything about who I was and what I looked like and who I was serving and upsetting. And it definitely played into a lot of internal dialogue that wasn't positive. And I have many more examples like that one. I just chose to use that one. And at that time, I didn't see anything, right? Until years later, when I look back on that moment, and I think, wow, I imagine that probably still happens to some degree in the workplaces of 2021. Absolutely. And it's happening in our schools where girls are being told that their education is less important than the boys because they're distracting the boys, you know, when they're like this recent one on CBC, I heard just this week, I'm not sure which province it is. I'm thinking Ontario, but this girl was sent home for wearing a knee length dress with frills or like a lace on top and a turtleneck. That was distracting to the boys. don't even want to get on the soapbox. Uh, the only time in my life that I've ever said the F word publicly in Instagram stories mm. is when I hear, and like, uh, anyway, when I hear stories about girls being sent home because they're wearing spaghetti straps, I turn into a different human because oh, I yeah. think back to my 25 year old self who up until that point was just so shamed into a corner to dress a certain way and to behave a certain way and to be a certain way to cater to a certain population. And it's 2021 and we're still sending little girls that message and teachers that, you know, some of them really get it. Some of them really don't. That's right. And there are some pretty progressive people that I've had conversations with, and it still shocks me that they don't understand the damage that this does. And I think the word that you just used, you were shamed into a corner. I think that is what happens to a lot of us. And other things on my bookshelf, Brené Brown, all of mm-hmm. everything she's written, of course, leading with vulnerability. It's It really helped me be able to get over. I was shamed into wearing my heart on my sleeve, like I mentioned earlier, and and being too sensitive. But really, there's so much power in being vulnerable, you know, Mm -hmm. and and Brene uh, really helped me take power in that I read her book in a weekend, you know, like just, I don't know, sorry, I'm like trailing off because I'm like, trying to think. It's okay. Um, I, I, think part, I think part of what Brene brings to the table is showing up as a whole person, not just, you know, the cold business oriented person, but the person who feels and believes and has opinions, 
you know, maybe isn't having a good day or maybe is having a great day. And we all have that inside of us. So why are mm-hmm. we ignoring it, pushing it away? And That's earlier right. you were talking a lot about networking events. And I think, you know, of late, we're kind of like networking events. Like, what are no, those again? What do we do? But I think a lot of that has been, you know, really translated through social media nowadays. So mm-hmm. for myself, I would consider Instagram like somewhat of a networking event. And absolutely, I think that your point of, you know, you go there and it's like, it just seems like a transactional place. And I have to admit, I lost where I fit into that over the last year because of how these systems were exposed to me, you know, through all of the different movements and attention to them. And so I guess I'm wondering from you, for people who are like me and they feel like they've kind of lost the plot and now you're going to Instagram and you just see it as this transactional place and not really a place where people authentically connect anymore, although they'll throw those words around. I feel that too. Yeah. How do you think we can get back to that? Because I think that's originally what it was, right? I think that's originally how social media got all of its traction because we were coming there to connect with each other. And now it's like we're coming there to do business. That's right. I think there's a big disconnect. I've found myself, you know, more scrolling aimlessly and then like doing a little, like just leaving Social media altogether is like a dream of mine, but I can't because of my business. And I think there is its place, but I really think that this pandemic is one of the opportunities is to get back to human connections and actually reevaluate what the relationships you want to seek out. And oftentimes you can't find those online anymore. This pandemic has exposed the true reality of social media. And uh, I still do get some genuine interactions on social and it's with people who are actually interacting with what I'm posting and actually do care on a human level about what I'm doing and what, and they know I care as well. And as for networking, you know, I was always known as a good hugger or great hugger even. And so this pandemic has, and that was always like my hair and my hugs, people remember. And, and uh, I've had so many of my friends tell me by that, I mean, my non-hugger friends tell me they're like, even I miss hugging. I don't know what you must be feeling right now. And like, I would give anything for one of your hugs right now. I think it's important because I think that people listening are missing. for editing. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. I think, I think that this is, I think you're saying what people are all thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. just recently. And by the time this episode airs, I'm not sure where we'll be in the phases Mm -hmm. of things. But just recently, we were told that on Thursday of this week, if all goes well, we can go from being masks off with 10 people to being masks off with 15. And yes, that's progress. Yay. But it just seemed so gloomy to me to think that, Is this really the way that it's going to be until we have herd immunity? It's gloomy and it's also very stressful reopening up our homes. Like I know we haven't had very many guests even since we were able to open up to 10. My wife, you know, daughter of a nurse, she's quite conscious of, uh, you know, like she works from home and sometimes comes into my workspace 
but it's very alienating. And I don't think she's alone in this. I think it's probably the majority of people. Yes, people are thirsty for connection. People are really aching for hugs and conversations and real face-to-face time. And I see that every day here. But there's also a lot of ambiguity and fear because what if we see one person too many, that's what does it and closes down the province, right? Yeah. And I mean, back to the shaming of things. It's a lot of pressure and we are not guilty of shaming people Mm -hmm. who have inadvertently spread the virus. So I think that we're all fearful of a public shaming as well. And I know, you know, these are things that in everyday normal life, (laughs) we would never stress about. So it's occupying Mm -hmm. our mental health in a way that we're carrying every day that we don't even like in our subconscious, right? Mm -hmm. So now that we have our steady 10 and we get together every other weekend with our one of our steady families (laughs) and you know, before we get together, we'll all disclose if we have any symptoms or whatever. And just day to day, you think, what if I'm the one? What if it's me? Because we know that like what, 25, 30% of people are asymptomatic. And of course, none of us would intentionally, well, I'll just speak. I mean, I don't, I can't speak for everybody, but the majority of us, of course, are never going to want to be the cause of more harm but it's also beyond our control to some extent as we ease out of Absolutely. restriction levels. It's hard. and But what we're seeing here at La Station, a public space, and, you know, our main room, uh, our hot desking room is about 2,000 square feet. So there's lots of room for lots of people to work socially distant. And in orange, you wear your mask if you're not sitting at your workstation. But we're seeing people really respectful of that. And it's a really great environment to um, celebrate all the small victories that we're... And we purposely celebrate the small victories of everybody who's like, oh, this is not very meaningful, but I did this. And it's like, yeah, that's amazing. Let's celebrate over a beer. You know, absolutely. And I think just having these reasons to gather is so important too. I know just last week, so I signed up for a workshop and the person leading the workshop is a Zoom workshop, obviously. And the person leading it said, prizes for whoever wears the best mullet wig. And I just thought like, (laughs) this is what I've been missing, right? Like just a reason to not be serious and to laugh. And like, I looked so forward to that Zoom call because we were just going to lighten up a little bit. And even if it was like the common ground of who has the best mullet wig, that was all I think any of us needed to just kind of like breathe a sigh of relief and remember that, you know, we all still like having fun. And Mm -hmm. even if we can't do it physically together, there are still ways that we can do it. And there are still ways that we can find connection and connect with one another and have those less easy conversations about. Absolutely. And bringing the mullet wigs into our future networking figuratively or like, you know, symbolically the mullet wig, that is what heart-centered networking is, you know? You don't have to always be talking about your elevator pitch. If they want to hear it, they'll ask. But other than that, don't lead with that. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, a, it's annoying. They're, like, chances are that they want to hear, like, if somebody is asking questions about your interests and, and what kind of mullet wig you would wear, that's a, your cue that you can have real 
real heart to heart conversations about other things than selling. Absolutely. And I think we live in a blue province. And it wasn't something that I honestly had given a whole pile of thought to until the restrictions started to come in. And that's when I went, wait a second. We can't go into each other's houses. I can't have my mother over. I couldn't anyway because she lives in a different province. But let's say she lives next door to me. Mm-hmm. I can't have my mother into my house, but we can go Black Friday shopping. That's when I went, hang on a second. Do we have our values right? <laughs> no, it's what we're seeing is a lot of, uh, we're talking about the economy, the economy, the economy. Yeah, but the economy doesn't matter if you're if the society that we're in can't live actual, safe, fruitful lives. And so whenever, and this is me on my soapbox, I am always talking about this, but I, when we think that the economy and, and economic development is more important than community development and community economic development and our society, we're doing it wrong. It's very nearsighted and we need the infrastructure and, and yeah, call me a socialist, but we need everybody to be able to survive and live. And so many, everybody has something great to bring to the table. Everybody, everybody in our society, but if we they've never have the chance, we're all missing out. Agree. Absolutely agree. And I mean, we could go down the socialism train. <laughs> that might require a whole other podcast episode. But I'm definitely with you there. Every human deserves food and shelter, and we have the means to provide that. So what the heck are we doing? Yeah, like housing first initiatives and 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 all those and harm reduction services. You know, we just got our first harm reduction vending machines here in Moncton, and uh, I couldn't have been more more happy. And and I saw a lot of pushback against it being like, oh, we're just enabling these people to inject drugs and do. And it's like, no, we're seeing people like people, humans, where they are. And let me tell you, as somebody who only came out of the closet when she was 26, because of fear that I grew up in a religious household, let's be real. And that ingrained a lot of internalized homophobia into myself like I hated myself for so long and I was not a stranger to drugs because that was when I felt the most like I could be myself and I was just Mm -hmm. suffering from not being able to tell the world who I really am and yeah that was my thing but people who are who use drugs and who and any addiction or any, you know, it's that TED talk. I can't remember the the gentleman who uh, who said that, but they're, he's talking about how the opposite of addiction is not being sober. The opposite is connection, mm-hmm. and that goes for any addiction, whether it's addiction to shopping, addiction to drama, or addiction to drugs. It's just we're all just a it's yes. trauma. It's trauma response wanting to. We're built to be connecting as humans and we're built for that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be standing here or sitting here talking about this, but we're built for connection. And at the end of the day, when we don't, we can't feel those connections and we can't feel our community, it's trauma. It's traumatizing. Yeah. And things like, you know, social media algorithms Mm -hmm. are driving us further apart instead of closer together. That's a whole other conversation as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think what I'd like to ask you, just to wrap up, because I think that people listening, like they get it. Like we're all in this together. We are all feeling a little bit hurt by everything that we've the last year has thrown at us. And I'll speak for myself. You know, I've struggled over the years injecting my beliefs and my values into my business. So, for example, I'm a non-religious person and I used to, I still do photograph weddings, but I was a wedding photographer and I always felt like I can't tell people that. They're never going (laughs) to hire me again. Um, But, you know, I reached a certain point where I'm like, okay, it is what it is. This is what I believe. I see religion doing a lot of harm and also a lot of good. My grandparents are religious people. It was all built around community. It was a beautiful thing. But then I see and read and hear about the harm. And I know you just sort of somewhat alluded to an example of the harm that religion can cause. So for people listening who, you know, maybe want to inject some of their beliefs into who they are as a individual, as a business person, as a neighbor, community participant, whatever. How do you recommend they get started with introducing their values and their beliefs and their heart-centeredness, if you will, into their day-to-day lives? (laughs) In one sentence, I'm just kidding. One (laughs) sentence, that's it. Just be human, be yourself. And making mistakes is part of it. And we will all make mistakes, whether it's something that we say that has roots in racism and like a lot of our expressions that we use today are rooted in in very racist things or whether from that to misgendering somebody, if you will, like we will all make mistakes. But the important part to remember, and I think this is as you're opening up, it's, it's, it's very scary to put yourself out there. But if you're putting yourself out there in the most vulnerable way you can and with not the intention of being perfect, but the, with the intention of learning, can't go wrong. And when you make a mistake, you apologize and you do better next time. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. all there is to it. Mm-hmm. If you misgender somebody, you apologize you say what you meant, and then you move on. Mm-hmm. Don't become the victim. Yeah. And I think as well, we need to get a little bit better at forgiving each other because that's oh the other thing that we've seen <laughs> over the last year is a lot of canceling. And in many cases, that translates as we're not accepting people for their mistakes. And so, you know, I think we need to get a little better at being okay with the fact that people have made mistakes in the past and they've learned from it and they've changed. Imagine that. That's right. It's not about making a mistake. I've said horrible things about my own community as a teenager because I didn't, well, it was internalized homophobia, but um, Mm -hmm. it was also fear and what I I was socialized into doing. But, you know, I've learned and that for me, you can't unsay things. The bell can't be unrung. However, you can do better next time and, and the next time after that. And, and uh, through, through going and doing the research yourself and buying books that you of, on topics you don't understand and asking people around you that you know are safe. And I, I constantly have people coming into my office asking me, hey, I, I noticed this person or this this thing happened to me and I'm unsure how to approach it 
And I, I was wondering what to do. I like that's my daily here. Very nice small office where uh, the if the walls could talk, but it's about and I always tell them it's it's not about messing up. It's truly about what you do after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that a lot of people could learn from that simple message. <laughs> oh, and it's easier said than done. And as somebody who's incredibly hard on herself, I mean, just doing the pos- this podcast was probably pretty painful for you. <laughs> Not at all. I'm having a, I'm having a blast. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, Milan, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for generously giving your time, your expertise, your knowledge, your opinion on the topic, for leading with your heart today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. And thank you for having me and being open to my awkwardness. And I love awkwardness. <laughs> me too, though. I really do. I am both inspired and humbled after this conversation with Milen. Her desire to make her community shine is undeniable and has not gone unnoticed. Her willingness to share her story with me so openly affirms that she really does walk the walk and integrates her passions into her work. Her abundance mindset has afforded her so many opportunities and her flexibility as an entrepreneur has made it possible for her to pursue meaningful projects and connections. We can all learn from this conversation with Milan, and I hope that you were also inspired to center your heart in your business. Thank you for spending some time with us today, and I know there are all kinds of things you could be doing right now, but instead you chose to hang with me. Thank you so much for that, and until next week, bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.theworkshopweekly.com or leave a review on iTunes. And we'll see you next week for another action-packed episode, you workshop warrior you.